Welcome. Welcome to Conversations in Compassion, a podcast by Dignity Maine, a program of Agape, and made possible by the contributions to Agape. Thank you. This is a different podcast. Instead of interviews, we have conversations. This is my attempt to demonstrate examples of what I call compassionate conversation. Through these conversations, I hope to address the discord in our families, in our communities, and in ourselves. And finally, to focus on the greatest need of our time, the need for compassion. first is that I just really want people to kind of take a listen to this podcast of the focus is here on uh, how Roe versus Wade has impacted this woman and how she sees the world and also the conversation as it moves towards the solution, the ideas of seeking those who disagree, those who are different in their opinions and ideas. I love the touching upon the issue of oppression that we don't often talk about. So first, thank you, Kelly, for doing this with me. I've been uh, anticipating to have this conversation. Um, it's been a few weeks now since there's been a Supreme Court decision on Roe versus Wade. And I really wanted to demonstrate a conversation and with a woman about what has that meant to you? That decision, that, the first felt sense you had when you heard it. Powerlessness. Mm. Fear. Worry. Shame mm-hmm. that our Supreme Court has done this. Mm-hmm. Um, guilt because my position in life um, as a, a white woman of some affluence means that myself and my daughter and my son and any women that he may get involved with will always have access to women's health care. Mm-hmm. Um, and that there is a huge portion of the country that no longer has that. Mm. And that's not okay. And you can feel the, that you have the access and that you can feel also the people in our culture who will not have the access. No. And will be forced to either have children that they're not ready to, not capable of, Um, or children who have severe disabilities um, and they will not be able to make a choice for their family anymore. Or they will be forced to revert to a time when people had to take it into their own hands and it's not safe. Or spend an inordinate amount of money that they can't afford to travel somewhere where they can get health care. You can you can feel that the oppression 
of economics, uh, of accessibility. Mm-hmm. Uh, that it came right from that decision. You could feel the powerlessness, the guilt, the shame, even the irritation and anger as a woman. Mm-hmm. That somebody is taking away your right to make choice. Yes. Um, lately, um, when I've been reading about or listening to um, people talk about this, I've heard uh, the movement that put this change to row in place um, that we used to think of as pro-life. They're now calling it anti-abortion, which I like that better. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think what it really is, is anti-family mm-hmm. because it's saying we don't believe you have the right to make decisions about your family, that that's our choice, not yours. And that, that never should be taken out of a a person's hands. That should be an individual choice as to what they want their family to look like. You can, you can feel the accessibility that those, those things pulling away to be saying to families that you don't get to choose. Mm Mm-mm. We, as a government, we, as a Supreme Court, we, as a collective thought, are invading your family. Yes. And there's um, such a deep hypocrisy to the decision, um, particularly, and I don't want to go too far astray, but when we look at, um, you know, what recently happened in Uvalde, Texas, that, you know, we're going to protect people's rights to guns at a federal level, but we aren't going to protect people's rights to make choices over their body at a federal level, that we should leave that up to the states. And that makes no sense to me. Um, so there's, it's, that's where some of the shame comes from to be in a country that has such a deep level of hypocrisy um, that they can't see that the choices that are being made in other areas like gun control are taking lives and that that's okay, but it's not okay for a woman or a couple or a family to make a choice about their health. You can, you can feel that there's, there's some control here, some very powerful control. It says this right to bear arms is more important than the family and accessibility to health care. Mm-hmm around the issue of abortion or the around the issue of just taking care of your body. Mm-hmm. And you can feel the duality, the, the conflict. Mm-hmm. And it sends a message to you as a woman that you're less than. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. It does. It says that, um, and again, I don't feel it as much personally Mm. because I know that I will have access, but I do feel it. It's telling a huge population that you're less than people of color, women. Um, You're just not as important. Yeah. Your economic status, your, your, your gender, Mm -hmm. you're just not as important. And that you can even as a family let go of your son or daughter into a school and they might be shot by a 
by, <laughs> by somebody that does a mass murder. And, mm-hmm. and, and there's some gender oppression in here and economic oppression. That they're, they're very significant in terms of the messaging. Oh, this is um, one of the reasons I wanted to do this podcast um, with you was I'm on on my social media account, someone that I'm sort of casually know when the Roe v. Wade decision was leaked, posted something about this isn't about power and control. It's just about not using abortion as a form of birth control. That just meant my head my heart just explode. I was so beyond that someone could make a statement like that, that, Mm. that this suggestion, and this is where the messaging comes from that you just talked about is that people are using abortion as a form of birth control. Mm. And you know, that's why we're going to take the right away from you because you know, you shouldn't do that. I can tell you, and I don't have stats or data, but very few people are using abortion as a form of birth control. Mm. It's not a pleasant thing to have to go through. Mm. Nobody goes in and says, oh, yeah, you know, I'll go have sex so I can go have an abortion. Yeehaw. That's not what happens. Um, mm. But I do th- think the anti-abortion or as I'm now thinking about the anti-family movement has pushed this idea that, you know, we should disregard women because they choose not to have safe sex, not to mention their partners, by the way, who are also part of this. We don't even talk about them. Let's not talk about the men and what they ought to be doing. That we ought to um, talk about this as you're not s- smart enough or, or you can't make a smart decision about your sexual pursuits. And, and so you're just going to use abortion as a safety valve. It seems like a crazy thought to you that women would sit around and go, well, I'm not going to take care of my body. And if I do get pregnant, I'm just going to run over to a birth control clinic and get an abortion. That that seems like, I can't, it stuns you. What stuns me is that other women think that about other women, Mm. that this particular Mm. person made that comment that there is a huge group of people who take in that messaging that say, yeah, I'll just go get an abortion. Mm. That there's a belief out there that that poor women don't care for themselves. Mm. And they're just when if, if, and when they get pregnant, they don't think about it. They just run over to the abortion clinic and get an abortion. Yeah. He's breezy, right? No. No. And it, and the shame and the context of even walking through the door of having to try to make this decision in this culture is so great, even before the overturn of Roe versus Wade. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And then now with this, it just makes it even more division between women. That's what you, I hear you saying. And also you kind of... Mentioning the men. Mm-hmm. And I I wondered what you would love to say to men in the context of this. Mm. I sigh. Yeah. Um, you know, I, I believe that there are many, many, many men out there who are allies um, mm. of women 
who believe in choice, who believe in safe um, women's reproductive health care. Um, I would say to the men who don't believe that if you asked around just a little bit, you would know someone who had to make this choice. And if you asked a little more and you listened, you would hear it was not an easy choice. Mm. But it was the first choice that they made as a parent or a mother. Mm. And that it was probably a loving choice. Mm. That the choice to not have that pregnancy complete was probably the first act of maternal love that this woman committed. Mm. Because she either knew she wasn't ready to be a good parent. She knew that the baby had some sort of birth defects that would not be compatible with life, with life and would only be compatible with suffering. Or because she just wasn't ready to be a mother. And that's a, that's a loving gesture to not bring a child into the world that you're not ready to raise. And it's even more loving in a face and a culture that would say that you are wrong doing it. Mm-hmm. That it would, that would be a degree of shame because of the division in the first place between the movements, if you will. And that what you're asking for is for men to listen to the women in your life. Mm-hmm. Just ask around. How does this land on you? And hear the whisper of what they had to go through. And how loving that was. Mm-hmm. And how pro-family that was. Mm-hmm. And the question is, it feels as though, and I'm making my own guess here, it feels as though there's a power of a group of men who hold power and resources in our country that sway the conversations away from those who are color, those of race and culture, those of women, those of sexual orientation, that we're terrified now because it feels like there's a power collection. I, um, my family and I have a, a good friend. He's, he's my husband's um, long-term friend uh, who's a Catholic priest. And we, we saw him recently for um, an event and he was riding in the car with my mother and my, my aunt who, uh, you know, my, they had me registered as a member of the national organization of women when I was like five years old. <laughs> so they're very <laughs> liberal and they're driving father in the car. And he says, um, something about, uh, what's going on with Roe versus Wade. And that even though he's a, um, Catholic priest, he knows that this is about power and control. Mm-hmm. that he believes that women should have the right to health care. So I know that there are men out there mm-hmm. who, who see this. Um, and you asked me something and I 
lost it in that story. <laughs> well, thank you. It's a beautiful story. And I'm, I'm thinking about, well, you know, this is a small collection yes. of powerful men. And we could be honest, primarily white mm -hmm. with resources mm -hmm. who are controlling, whether it's campaign financing or election results or all of this, all the way to the Supreme Court. And it doesn't look like it's changing. No, and that's why I mentioned the brace, because at the lunch, he said, white supremacy is both rebelling and dying at the same time. Mm. And I think that's what we see, because the reversal of Roe v. Wade is a first press on women to take away our rights to our own health care. And next it's going to be taking away the rights for same-sex couples to marry. And next it's going to be um, transgender rights in the schools. And next it's going to be something else. Mm. And, you know, we've all heard of or seen or read The Handmaid's Tale. And you can just see this like prophecy playing out that there is a collective that has become a minority in our country that is trying to hang on to power. Mm. And to take it away because they're afraid of what will happen if it's no longer um, a white man's world. And you can you can feel the the desperation of that power. Mm -hmm. And I wonder what what you ought to do with this. Because we can witness it. We can see it. At the same time, a woman of color, people of little resources, have just been oppressed in terms of their health, care access, around a very vulnerable part of their lives, a place where they could be loving. What do we do with this? I know that we can't be complacent. I know that we can't look around and say, there's nothing I can do about this. I know that we have to, um, that we have to fight, whether it's voting or it's donating money to Planned Parenthood or it's volunteering your time or it's telling your story to personalize the experience of having to have an abortion, whether it's because you're not ready for whatever reason that might be, or because the child has some sort of birth defect and it's not safe to bring them into the world. And I think we need to get loud. Mm. There's a whisper of hopelessness. a very scary time to live in this country and it does feel a little hopeless and I also know there's a lot of people out there who want to fight who, who don't want to take this as a status quo 
And there's a duality then when people gather now, very honestly, when people gather, I hear the whisper of, will I, if I gather, uh, will I get shot? Yes. Yes. And it's almost like it colluded. Like if I tell you or demonstrate or show up uh, to say whatever I feel and sense, that, that somebody who has the right to a gun mm-hmm. could kill me. Mm-hmm. And that there's duality of, yes, oh, I could fight. But I don't have, I, I don't trust that I won't get killed. Yeah. Particularly in certain parts of the country mm. where guns are more prevalent. Mm. Yes. And what is deeply ironic about all this, um, and I don't want to go too far astray, but, you know, the um, anti-abortion or anti-family movement, you know, all life matters and, you know, what have you. Um, But what about when these children are born? And, you know, they're not perfect little white babies that are going to go up for adoption, but they're children who might fall between the cracks or might be born addicted to Suboxone or some other medication that their parent was taking. And what if they're one of the many um, young men who gets lost in the system mm. and then ends up thinking the only way that they can express some power over their lives is to take a gun and shoot people up. Mm. That's what I find so There's no connection of the dots that if we force these children to be born, what's going to happen to them? Who's going to take care of them? Who's going to make sure they get mental health resources? So again, it's a little far astray, but that's what, where my mind goes. Well, you're talking about not really astray, about a culture and a country that is focused on compassion. That it would have compassion for the mother to make her own decision. Mm-hmm. It would have compassion for the child that has a mental health problem. It mm-hmm. had compassion for the young man who's fall between the cracks and could get mental health services. You're talking about an overall compassionate world or country, culture. Which we do not live in. Can you say more about that? It seems so automatic in your head. Oh, I mean, I, you know, in the work that you and I do, that's what we do all day. We try to sit with people from a place of compassion and have a deep respect for um, their life and uh, the belief that they're they're doing the best they can, um, that they they want a different life or they wouldn't be in our office, um, that they are trying as hard as they can, um, that their life story has led them to a place that they just want to try to, you know, make their way out of. Um, and we have a, we live in a country that doesn't, that looks as at immigrants. I mean, now we're really getting into like more macro issues, but immigrants is coming here to like, you know, um, 
take advantage of us. Like, oh boy, I'm going to go to the United States so I can get on welfare. Oh, oh boy. <laughs> like mm-hmm. if, if a compassionate response would be like, if that is a step up in your life to come to the United States to get be on, put on the welfare here or on some sort of assistance program, then wow, how horrible your life must have been. Right. Please come and contribute to our society. But that's not how we think. We think oh, we got to close our borders. We got to keep everything to ourselves. We got to, you know, protect our resources. Um, we got to tell people how they ought to live their lives. Um, we got to tell women they, they have to, they can't have access to healthcare anymore. We're going to tell 14 year old kids who feel completely uncomfortable in their body because they're were born into a female gender, but they're actually a male that, yeah, no, Mm. we know you don't. We know people in power. We know what's best for you. You don't. Mm -hmm. And that's why I don't think we're a compassionate country. Well, and it goes back to, we are in power Mm -hmm. and we're in power with, are actually a minority of, of white men who have a lot of resources and want to hold on to their resources. Mm-hmm. And uh, they do a systematic training on a regular basis that um, really systematically says that this transgendered child is wrong. Mm-hmm. This mother's decision-making is wrong. This mental health issue does not really exist. It's wrong. Mm-hmm. And that people who are addicts, let's let them go. Let yeah. them die. Must be their fault. Must be. Yeah. Must be easy to get off that heroin that you got hooked on because your doctor prescribed you opioids. And, you know, I mean, it could go on and on. Mm-hmm. You know, we know because, because we, we sit in the, in the state houses and we, we sit on the Supreme Court, and we have lots and lots of degrees, so we know what's best for you. Mm-hmm. I guess that's what I meant in the work that you and I do. Mm-hmm. When I sit with someone, I don't assume that I know what's best for them. Mm-hmm. Never assume that. That we have that we have a one assumption, and that is that they want they want to love and to be loved. Mm-hmm. And when you described beautifully today about the loving act of a mother making a decision to have a healthcare intervention, an abortion, if you will, Mm -hmm. to, to have that as a loving act. It's not a birth control issue. It's not a, I did something bad and now I'm going to have to be punished by doing an abortion. It is a loving act. Because I know that if I bring this child with its defects or I bring this child into the world after I've been raped, if I, if, if I do that, this that child will, will suffer and this child will suffer all of its life. And mm-hmm. we're not even equipped to de- deal with the consequences of all that. Mm-mm. No. As a society, we are very individualistic you know, we are not a society that thinks collectively mm. and, you know, there's no, if, if a woman has a child that is born with some serious birth defects that require intense medical intervention, who's going to cover that? Who's going to mm. take care of that? Mm-hmm. Who's going to do that? It's not going to be the anti-abortion movement or the anti-family movement. Mm. 
Mm. It's going to be a horrible situation for that family. Mm. Where they'll go out of the country or Mm -hmm. they'll go someplace where, you know, that they have to get all of their resources to be, you know, an immigrant in another country so that they can get what they need. Mm -hmm. And what is the feeling in this country is, okay, let it go. Because we matter. Yep. The small collective of people. Yes. Matter more. So you're saying we, if we, if we can get out there, we can fight. You have some hope. Mm-hmm. If we donate, give some time, vote well, mm-hmm. be thoughtful, mm-hmm. and extend some compassion to others. Mm-hmm. We might have a chance to build a world of community where everybody has free access to the kind of medical needs they have. I think that's a big part of it. Um, I do think, and this is where I get a little stuck, um, but I do think that part of what needs to happen, and this is why I wanted to talk about this, is... um, well, there's so many reasons why, but um, we, those of us who believe in a woman's right to reproduct- reproductive health care, mm-hmm. need to understand and try to have compassion for those who are anti-abortion. Right. That has to also happen. Yeah. Because if we just lock in and go, I'm right, you're wrong. And it's the same issue. It's just a fight. Yeah. And we need to share our stories and we need to personalize, you know, mm-hmm. that this is what happened to me. And and the, the, the people that we feel like we're in conflict with, we need to understand, okay, what happened to you? Mm-hmm. What what led you to believe this? Mm-hmm. Because yes, of course, the the small white male group that's in power is part of it. But then there's all kinds of other people who have bought into this. The person I referred to on my social media account, mm-hmm. um, they're not a white male in power, but they bought into this belief or they believe for whatever reason that they're, they're against abortion, against women's health care. And we have to understand that side too and try and have compassion to bridge it, to bridge the, the rift. That's the hard part. Mm-hmm. Because the hard part is not to have a belief as you and I sit here. Right. That's not the hard part. It's not the hard part to go fight and for our position and donate money and time and resources. And that's not the hard part. The hard part is to seek out the people who we disagree with. Yes. And offer them. A kind of compassion, not for that to change them, but to build a community of difference. Because mm-hmm. that's our only shot. Yes. And that's why you wanted to do this podcast. <clears throat> that reaching out, that touching, that seek your enemy. Yeah. And have compassion for your enemy. 
Because then they're not your enemy anymore. That's right. And they're and, not your enemy. Yeah. And I have you, a hard time with this part. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> this part is not easy for me. I know it needs to happen, but it sure ain't easy for me right now. And how do I, how do I do that when I'm triggered, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, that's what people talk about when I'm triggered by somebody's belief or idea or something. I I, I don't I don't do compassion. I just argue the idea. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And then we're both in the same place. And actually, if we could be honest, they're more solid about their beliefs mm-hmm. at the end of that. Yeah, double down. In a highly individualistic culture, empathy is lost. Yes. Yes, it is. And that's really what you're talking about. So we don't, we don't care about that woman who's loving her child by making this decision. Because empathy is lost in an individual culture. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So I think it's both. I think um, we both have to fight and donate and time, money, share our stories. And we have to seek to understand those that we differ from. I think the important word there is go seek. Because we can stay in our own bubbles. And nothing will shift. Mm-mm. Because the p- balance of power will shift. Mm. That I have faith in. It mm. will shift. Mm. Um, and and then you'll have a whole different group of people who feel disenfranchised, who will feel angry, and then it will shift again. You know, and is there a different way to try and bridge the differences to understand? And I don't know. That's a big, that's a big, that's a big ask. (laughs) I don't know. Well, I love the big ask. Thank you for today. You're welcome. I really, really appreciate this conversation. Thank you. Thank you for listening to today's conversation. And I hope you enjoyed it. If you like what you hear, please consider subscribing to Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever else you find your podcast. I'd like to give a heartfelt thanks to all the contributors to Agape Inc. for their support in making this podcast possible. If you care to join us, please go to DignityMaine.com to get involved. Thank you. Thank you again for being here. And take good care.